Welcome to the Generations United podcast, where we share insights from experts in the intergenerational field about how these practices improve the lives of children, youth, and older adults, and the communities where they live. I'm your host, Donna Butts, Executive Director of Generations United. Our guest today is Trent Stamp, who served as CEO of the Eisner Foundation since 2008. All of us at Generations United are huge fans of the Eisner Foundation. They've been trailblazers when they made the decision to become the first and only foundation to really focus on intergenerational solutions. And while that focus is in LA County, there's really been a tremendous ripple effect and inspiration that I think, Trent, you and your colleagues at the Eisner Foundation provide. And I've been really pleased with how that's starting to impact other funders. So we're grateful to you for that. Thank you so much. Under Trent's leadership, the Eisner Foundation's received a lot of awards and honors, including the Association of Fundraising Professionals Foundation of the Year and Generations United's Leadership Award. So Trent, welcome to the show. It's a delight to be chatting with you. Thank you, Donna. It's always a pleasure to get together with you. And I do think it's fair to acknowledge up front that we have been a funder of Generations United and a proud supporter of a good deal of your work. And we are very grateful for that. So I thought it'd be really interesting if you wanted to talk to our listeners about the Eisner Foundation and what led you to become the only foundation in the U.S. to really focus exclusively on intergenerational solutions. Yeah, I mean, I think we came to this kind of by accident, to tell you the honest truth. The Eisner Foundation, which is 22 years old now and was founded, of course, by Michael and Jane Eisner. And Michael was the longtime CEO of the Walt Disney Company. And so a great deal of his great fortune in life was a byproduct of children's related programming at Disney and at Disneyland. And when it came time to create a private foundation, many of the organizations they sought to support were children's related, obviously, for a natural reason. And when I came in in 2008, Michael was no longer at Disney. And I asked the question of, should we be looking for other vulnerable populations? and the family was receptive to that. And so we added seniors, seniors at risk. And so we basically had two funding portfolios of children under the age of 18 and seniors pretty much over 65. And we found over time that the programs that we liked the best, the programs that we found to be the most efficient, the most effective, the most compelling, were those that were serving both populations at once and weren't necessarily looking at them as vulnerable, but as resources that could serve the other and could serve our community and society as a whole. So a few years ago, we just decided to jump in and look for organizations that only worked intergenerationally, only served those two groups. We felt that it allowed us to become more like experts in our field. We never claim that we are experts, but to understand the topic a little bit better, to dive in with a small staff and really become knowledgeable, understand what worked, what didn't work, who the true thought leaders were in the field and, you know, and really kind of focus all of our funding and all of our expertise on this one particular area, which was intergenerational programming, primarily here in Los Angeles. And we were lucky enough to rely on folks like you to help us create a guide and a plan for moving forward. We've been very pleased with the results that we've achieved so far. What results do you think you've achieved in LA County? What kind of changes have you seen? Well, I think we've found a lot more really high-quality intergenerational programs. You and I both know the adage that I use all the time that I stole from Nancy Hankin, who probably stole it from you, was that these programs were seen as nice but not necessary, that they created good pictures, but that wasn't the real way to get things done. 
And I think after enough time and really investing in data and really investing in results, we found that the quality of the intergenerational programs here in Los Angeles have begun to really improve and people are getting some really dramatic results. And we're talking about health outcomes for seniors. We're talking about measurable testing results for kids. And I do think we're talking about kind of a more empathetic society where people have a shared vision and people understand where one group is coming from. We're so polarized. We're coming apart at the seams in this society along racial lines, gender lines, socioeconomic lines, political lines. And I do think that we found a way in Los Angeles to maybe bring together some people around age lines. And, and that's really been a heartwarming thing and an impactful thing. That's great. I so agree with you. There's so much polarization. And when we can bring the generations together, I really think it reweaves and strengthens our social fabric and communities. It makes all the sense in the world, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. this is what you guys do. But, you know, these are the only two groups in our society where one group becomes the other group over time with good fortune. So it seems to me that identifying and adopting a shared vision makes all the sense in the world. You know, you first came to our attention at Generations United when the Eisner Foundation launched the Eisner Prize for Intergenerational Excellence in 2011. And over the years, you've recognized incredible innovators and pioneers, and I think really elevated interest across the country in intergenerational programming by awarding that tremendous honor. I know we at Generations United were really honored to be the recipient in 2015. So I wondered if you could talk to the listeners a little bit about what motivated you folks to decide to start a national award, and if it's changed over time. Yeah, sure. I mean, we were wary of prize philanthropy. I think sometimes it's just generally self-serving. It doesn't cause every innovator and entrepreneur to come flooding into a field in the way that perhaps the X Prize did in the private sector. But we thought in our particular case, by launching a national award, a national prize for the best intergenerational organization, we could do a couple of different things. We could, first of all, just highlight showcase, tell the world about some great programs, including Generations United. Let's be honest, many intergenerational organizations are not operating in the sexiest sphere of philanthropy. Not everybody wants to put you on the cover of their popular magazine. But we really thought that we had a unique position with our name, with our location, that we could showcase and highlight some really cool intergenerational programs and cause people to perhaps pay more attention than they were doing previously. We also, as a regional funder, we were looking for high-quality programs in other parts of the country that we could potentially identify and then replicate here in Los Angeles. And then the last thing is, as a new funder in this space, selfishly, we were just trying to educate ourselves. And we thought that if we traveled the country and identified those intergenerational organizations that experts acknowledged were the best in the country, then we could learn from those people. We could identify best practices. And then when we were doing our general funding here in Los Angeles, we really would know what to look for from the true beacons out there in our society. And I think that's made us a much smarter grant maker. So we've really enjoyed the Eisner Prize. It's really the only truly national thing that we do. And we've identified some really great organizations. And we're hoping to kind of build a cohort, a cadre of people that we can bring together over time and learn from them as best practices and use the lessons that we've learned from those particular organizations to open, start, channel new organizations that want to work intergenerationally. 
I really think it's working, Trent, because I think it's added a legitimacy to some of the work and an elevation. But also, like you said, a lot of times it's not really glamorous work. It's like nobody's in this for the fame and the money and the glory. But when you get the recognition, it really, really offers a program or a person an opportunity to pause and reflect and celebrate what they've done. So we're really grateful that you folks have developed the prize, that you've stuck with it and have done a great job administering it. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for being such a worthy recipient. We joked that we could have given the award to Generations United every year, but we felt that it was only appropriate to give it to you one time and then look for some other people out there that were doing similarly great intergenerational work. We've always been really happy to share, and I, I appreciate <laughs> yes. that. Say, you know, the Eisner Foundation, you folks give away about $7 million a year to nonprofits, and you are a regional foundation that focuses where you live in Los Angeles County. So I wondered if you could just talk with us a little bit and walk us through your process when you're identifying programs. And when you do a site visit, for example, what do you look for? How can you tell when a program is a quality intergenerational program and not just putting on a show for you? Before we do a site visit, we do a thorough vetting of all the financial information, the history of the organization, the board, the staff, all those kinds of things. So that by the time we get out to you, we feel that we're thoroughly versed and vetted in your particular organization. But when we get out to an organization, we're truly just looking for excellence. We're looking for your awareness of your environment, knowing where you work, knowing how you work, knowing what kind of external conditions are impacting the people or the cause that you serve. We're looking for real, measurable results. This, of course, is the hardest thing to measure in the nonprofit world. But we want to make sure that you're at least thinking about it and that you have benchmarks that you're striving for. And then, and only then, we want to know, are you applying a true, intentional, intergenerational focus? You know, the intergenerational focus, just for the sake of intergenerational focus, doesn't get us anywhere. We want to make sure that you're really achieving true impact. And then we want to know how you're using that intergenerational lens to bring about that impact. So when we can get to an organization where we can check all those boxes and the finances add up and we know that you're going to be there for a few years, then we're really pleased to make that grant because we can't do anything in our sector without good partners that are actually implementing the vision and the programming. You can really tell when it's part of their DNA that they're really invested in intergenerational work or when they're just sort of saying, oh, I didn't realize it, but yes, we do have intergenerational interaction here. Never accidental, right? I mean, you know, it truly has to be intentional and it has to be part of your fabric and part of your DNA. So I know that when I've been fortunate enough to do site visits, that there are some that really stand out in my memory, whether it was a particular interaction with somebody or just something that stood out to me about that particular site. I was wondering if when you think back on all the site visits that you've done, if there's one that stands out to you or a story in particular that stands out. I like to think that all of them are good, that mm -hmm. we actually end up funding. We get probably 600 letters of interest a year, and we end up funding around 60 of those organizations. So it's 10% or so. So by the time we get to the site visit and we really go through everything, I like to think that we're seeing true quality programming. But I was most recently at an organization out here called 826LA, which is a chapter of the organization 826 Valencia, which was created by Dave Eggers, which is a national reading organization that brings in volunteers to work with kids at risk and really help them with their schoolwork, with their studies, with tutoring, after school, in school, weekends, and the whole thing. And I was out at the LA chapter recently, and I was just really blown away by their thoughtfulness, the way they had really 
planned on every single thing. The way they recruited their volunteers, they had done a special cadre of senior volunteers in an effort to not only strengthen their program, but of course, to get funding from the Eisner Foundation. So they were deliberately recruiting older volunteers. And the way they had gone about it was just so thoughtful and so smart, so strategic. And I was really blown away because they were doing it of course, to get funding from the Eisner Foundation. But more importantly, they were doing it because they realized over time that those senior volunteers were the best quality volunteers that they could possibly get. They were more reliable. They were more experienced. They were not there for their resume. And they were there for social interaction, not only with the kids, but with each other and to have an impact. They were there for the right reason. And they really had just done a great job of then figuring out what kind of accommodations do I have to do here at the office? What kind of transportation issues do we have to address? What kind of communication do we have to do to get them here on a regular basis? And it was really just kind of a reasonable set of accommodations and front-end planning that had identified how do we best recruit, retain, and utilize these senior volunteers, not just because we want to do that because we want seniors here in our organization, but because we realize they're the ones that can bring about the most positive impact and the longest results for these kids at risk that we're serving. So I would say that my site visit to 826LA recently was really something that was affirming of the type of work we're doing and the real intergenerational focus that another organization can apply, not solely so they can be intergenerational, but so that they can have big impact on kids. That's wonderful. Next time I'm in LA, I want to check them out. It sounds great. I'll be happy to take you over. Oh, I'd love that. Well, say, you know, we've been fortunate to do some really impactful work with you folks. And just last month, we held a Capitol Hill release event for the report we did together called The Best of Both Worlds, A Closer Look at Creating Spaces that Connect Young and Old. We thought that the event went well. We were really pleased that Senator Casey from Pennsylvania was able to join us. And in particular, that Lance Robertson was able able to join us from the Administration for Community Living and the Administration on Aging, as well as the other folks that were there to help learn more about shared sites. What were your thoughts about the event? Was there a highlight that stood out to you? Was there something that a speaker said that struck you or stayed with you? Well, I thought it was great. I'm still a sucker for going to Capitol Hill. I was a congressional aide a million and a half years ago. All the discord and craziness aside, it still seems like a special place to me. From a funding perspective, you know, once again, as you're looking for people who are having real impact, I thought that Diane Beckley from St. Anne was really terrific. She told a number of stories that showed the impact her intergenerational programs have had on those that attend the care center, especially kind of the reverse mentoring effect and the way that the small children were changing the lives of the adults there. I like the story she had about her sister and how she'd cook with some of the older adults. On a personal level, I have a sister who's 98 years old. She started coming to St. Anne's Center about three or four years ago. And while she was in St. Anne's Center, I knew I had to keep her busy because she, the first thing she told me, it's a nice place, Diane, but I don't know if I like all these old people. <laughs> she had most of them beat by 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> we developed a program within the center called Cooking with Minerals, and that's her name. So she'd have all the children and all the adults around one of the islands in the kitchens. Each unit has a kitchen, and she'd cook spaghetti. She'd teach them how to do the spaghetti. Her favorite dish was the peach cobbler, and the men would just be sitting there waiting for it to come out of the oven. They could care less how it was put together. They're just waiting to taste it. It was 
truly affirming to me when she talked about the older men who wait at the door for the kids each day when they get there because a they know that they can have impact for those kids but also i just think that those kids brighten up their day and give them a sense of purpose so we can do all the reports and all the capitol hill briefings and all the podcasts that we want to do but just hearing from a true practitioner who's living an intergenerational program every day and the impact that it's having on her community and the people they serve that's what made it all worthwhile to me i really do think saint anne's intergenerational center they've been around for a long time and they have such heart sister edna who founded the organization just keeps looking forward and really has great vision and i think her spirit really is catching for the people that she gets to work with and for the people who participate in the program so that's great to hear i thought diane did a great job too uh, she's terrific and once again it just shows you know an organization that's not doing it solely to bring together older and younger people, but they're doing it because it's the best way that they can, with limited resources, achieve the outcomes that they're trying to achieve. So Trent, when I think about the leadership that the Eisner Foundation has provided in this area, I wonder what kind of advice you would give to other funders who are thinking about investing in this way. I uh, just tell them to try it. Why not? What's the worst that happens? It may do what it did for us. It may change our lives completely. It may change the way we want to fund. It may change the way we want to interact with the community. And you may be blown away by the fact that you can make one grant and achieve two terrific outcomes as well as one for society. But what's the harm? Give it a run. See what happens. It doesn't really matter what your focus is. I don't care if you're trying to promote justice and equity or clean up the environment or improve outcomes for low-income kids. If healthcare is your thing, I guarantee you that there are organizations that are out there that are applying an intergenerational focus, applying an intergenerational lens to their work, and are achieving great outcomes. So I just tell people to be bold and give it a shot. We're going to have a funders convening out here on November 18th, where we're partnering with the Annenberg Foundation and the Packard Foundation. And the whole purpose is to bring people together around not only purposeful aging, but this idea of intergenerational connections and how you can look at your grant making through that lens and potentially add that to what you're trying to do. I think we can build a movement, but it starts with one grant at a time. And I think also this is another area where we can say you folks have been successful, that you've really accomplished quite a bit because I would know I was really encouraged at the recent Grantmakers in Aging conference when at least two new foundations talked about their intergenerational funding strategies and their plans for the future. And I know they were influenced by you folks. I also think that when we look in a policy perspective, there's one thing in particular that I'm very pleased with in terms of the result of our work together, and that is that intergenerational shared sites for the first time were included in the draft language for the reauthorization of the Older Americans Act. And I know that sounds kind of wonky, but what that means is that that can actually become policy and encourage people who haven't thought about intergenerational shared sites to think about them. And we were really pleased that the House passed the version of the Older Americans Act yesterday that included that. Now it's on its way to the Senate, and it's going to be a little bit of a lift there. So we'll be reaching out to all of our members, all the people who've expressed interest in shared sites, and encourage them to make their voices heard, let people know that shared sites sites really can make a difference in communities. So when I think about our success together, I'm pleased that we've been able to accomplish. I wondered if there is anything that comes to your mind in terms of the work of the Eisner Foundation that you're particularly pleased with or proud of a success that you've had. We are. Recent examples that make us happy here in Los Angeles included things like the LA LGBT Center, which built a new intergenerational campus. 
when they had the opportunity to build from the ground up, there was nothing there. So there was no reason to say we have to continue what we've done in the past. So they looked at the people they serve, which is a vast and diverse population, and they said, how best do we serve that population? And they decided to build an intergenerational campus. And that really made us happy, and we were happy to help them get that going. We have an organization out here, which I know you're familiar with, One Generation, that has long served traditional shared site program with a senior daycare with preschools built into it. When they had the opportunity to acquire and merge with another organization, grandparents as parents, they decided to bring them in because they really wanted to strengthen their intergenerational programming. And we have several grants going on at UCLA right now, working with their gerontology program and their geriatrics department, where the goal is to truly create exemplary models and much needed research showing that the true health benefits, primarily for the seniors, of creating intergenerational programming. So I really feel like we're on the forefront of something that when you and I are both gone, people will look back and go, yeah, that made all the sense in the world. And it just took a few innovators and a little bit of funding and good things would happen. It's frustrating right now. We're in the weeds. I know you've been in the weeds far longer than we have, and we really appreciate your pioneering in this field. I do think that we've reached a tipping point where not only does it make sense, not only is it necessary, but people are seeing that this is a way to truly have impact in the communities and they serve. I think we're probably both around for a little while longer, but I agree with you. I'm not going anywhere. I know you aren't either, (laughs) but you know, in the global scheme of things, this is going to need to be taken up by the next generation of young innovators. And I know they're coming. I'm excited about it. I am too. And I agree with you. And I did want to mention that all those examples you gave are ones that are fabulous. In particular, the LA LGBT Center. We're very excited about the work that they have underway and what they're doing and grateful for the support that you've given them. Oh, absolutely. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners or something that has been on your mind? I would like to thank you for your leadership in this area. We never would have become intergenerational funders if you hadn't helped us not only make the case for why we should do it, but to show us what it meant in actual practice. So there are not enough leaders in this field. I feel that will change over time, as I said, but there's no doubt that you and Generations United were the first ones in the space and have created a cohort of people following in your footsteps. So thank you so much for your great work. Trent, thank you. That means a lot. I really, really appreciate that. You folks have been great partners. I think you've really helped to bring this intergenerational work to people's attention that would never have thought about it. And I wanted to make sure to let our listeners know and encourage them to look at our website, at your website, and in particular, the three reports that we have done together so far that I think have been really important in helping to lay the groundwork for the field. The first one was in 2017 when we released I Need You, You Need Me, The Young, The Old, and What We Can Achieve Together. And then in 2018, we worked together to elevate shared sites really for the first time in All In Together, creating places where young and old can thrive. And then, as I mentioned earlier this year, The Best of Both Worlds, a closer look at creating spaces that connect young and old. So please, if you haven't had a chance to look at those reports, I really encourage you to read them. I think the folks we've been able to work with, the sites we've been able to visit, the stories we've been able to profile are very inspirational. So today, I would like to say thank you to those of you that are listening. Trent, thank you so much for making the time to have a discussion today, to have a little conversation. We really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Donna, for your good work, for your organization's good work, and for doing this podcast to tell people how they can be better involved in intergenerational programs nationwide. And that's a perfect lead into what I wanted to also ask our audience, which is, please, if you're listening to this, we'd ask that you leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts and other streaming platforms. And of course, I'd encourage you to rate it 
four stars or five stars. Our goal is really to be able to reach people who aren't as aware and familiar with intergenerational work and programs people that we could inspire to do this work. So that's why we're trying to get the word out through this. And remember, if you don't have somebody older or somebody younger in your life, find them. Thank you. 